Good afternoon. It's 3 p.m. and you're listening to St. Andrews Radio. Welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys. My name is Leah Wyman and I'm a third-year student at the University of St. Andrews studying sustainable development and international relations. Today I'm joined by Stephen Gethins, who is a um, um, Scottish National Party politician and member of Parliament for North East Fife. He's also vice-chair of the UK All-Party Parliamentary Group for Climate, Climate Change Group and he's been very supportive of our climate strikes here in St Andrews. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy to have you. Um, we are very happy to have you here today, Stephen. Uh, welcome. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me along. <laughs> yeah, so let's just maybe just start a little bit personally. You know, how, mm. how did you get into and um, what drives your commitment to climate action? Um, um, I think climate action is something that should be personal for all of us, actually. I know we can talk about the high politics, but something that's personal to us all. I was quite lucky in a way in that my grandparents who were from Aberdeen were, were, were very into environmentalism and sustainability. Um, are were my parents in particular, my 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 mum. So I've I've been really lucky in that it's something that has always been a, a part of of life. Um, because I'm, I'm I'm a big believer although there's so much Parliament can and should be doing and we can talk about that. Uh, climate action is about what we do as individuals as well. Mm. So yeah, what, what, what do you think? What you'd like to see happen on like a national, like international level, yeah. like UK and Scotland in terms wow. of climate action? So the first thing I would have liked to have seen is um, I've been consumed by the Brexit debate over the past four years, and I keep thinking, you know, when we're about to spend, we've just spent a hundred million pounds on a. Brexit PR campaign over the past couple of months. Mm. The government spent four and a half billion pounds on no deal alone, something like three million pounds for every constituency. Um, wow. What we could have done if we've had the time, the political focus, all the different things, and we'd spent that on climate action instead. Yeah, and it's actually quite shocking to see because it's always about talking about, oh, we don't have the money for climate action, yeah. but then there's money for everything else. And with a climate but, emergency, you know, yeah, really wondering how, how is, why is that that way, you know? So, I, I, yeah, and I think that the £100 million on a PR campaign, and actually I, I put down some questions in Parliament saying, um, and this is a PR campaign, I'm not against governments on occasion having PR campaigns to make people aware of things. You know, they do it for the winter flu crisis, they do it for public health reasons. Um, and I asked them, how much money have you put into a climate emergency, climate action mm. um, public fund? And they couldn't tell me, and they couldn't tell me, but they've put £100 million into a Brexit one that never happens because it's the 1st November today. <laughs> Thankfully, we're all still members of the European Union. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very crazy to think. But um, I mean, the um, Scotland and the UK were yeah. actually the first government to declare climate emergency. Have you seen that sort of translated into some more awareness and some more action? In terms I have of done. I mean, look, I'm I'm a member of the SNP and so supportive of the Scottish government, less supportive of the Westminster government. I, it's good to see that the Scottish government is further ahead than the UK mm -hmm. government, but I still think there's lots more that we can yeah. be doing. You know, I, I'm not going to be uncritical of the Scottish government. I think there's more that we could be doing. That said, um, I think in these when when we talk about climate action, yes, let's criticise, but let's look at the good stuff as well. I was involved in taking the Climate Change Act, the Scottish Climate Change Act, through in 2009, and. That's a long time ago, but one thing that, that I remember at the time we decided in Scotland to go for what was at the time a world-leading commitment, and all the civil servants said go for 36% reduction by 2020, 
and some of the NGO community were arguing no 42% by 2020, which all the officials were saying is unachievable. And what was interesting, Scotland went for the 42%. Mm. And what was really good about that, and what, was, what, what I think we should be proud of, at the time that was world leading, we've now met those targets, which is good as well. But what that showed is that this wasn't just about the government, political parties getting behind it, but when we went to that 42%, went that little bit further, you had um, the NGO community, but also businesses who had to put their hands in their pocket, not least the energy companies getting behind it, and also the academic community who were saying, yeah, well, here's the kind of technology we can be looking at in a few years' time. And critically alongside that was the sort of um, RPR, the report for policies and proposals to actually get you there. So it, it wasn't perfect, but let's look at what we've done well and then let's look at all the things we can be do yeah. doing better. Yeah, so I actually think as well, you know, setting ambitious targets are actually a really good step to yeah. try and get action because I think a big problem is of obviously, of course, that, you know, if you set really long-term targets, what does that mean in like yeah. action terms of action now? And um, I think quite worryingly for me, I mean, as someone, you know, who studies sustainable development and just reading through the IPCC report as well, you know, realising that we only have, you know, on if we want to keep like our targets within the Paris Agreement and with one in one point five degree warming, yeah. you know, having even to have that like limit of twenty thirty there, having to limit twenty thirty. So even though, you know, most nations have now states have now said twenty fifty and obviously twenty forty five is better in terms of Scotland, but you know, in terms of the science it's still a bit difficult as well to see, you know It is. It is. And actually, could we... Now, what, one thing that I've noticed from following this from a policy perspective for a long time, and you're right, 2045 is a long way away and everything that we need to do. Um, I remember when we set up the 42% by 2020, everybody told us it couldn't be done. You know, mm. it's got to be done. Yeah. And actually, there was also the proposal to set, again, an ambitious target for 100% of our equivalent, as part of a mix, but 100% equivalent of our electricity coming from renewables. And that looks like it'll be met as well. Um, but it's great having ambitious targets, and I think we should set ambitious targets. I think it gives certainty to business, it gives certainty to other organisations. But critically, um, I think it sets ambitions for the whole country. I, I, I will say on the flip side of this is I don't think we should ever let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think we can always yeah. do better. And one thing I find a little bit frustrating sometimes are just things when you see some newspapers criticising climate activists for driving to a demonstration or, you, you know, come on, guys. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit like this has to be incremental. You know, I even see people being criticised for flying. I have to fly. You know, I fly quite a lot, unfortunately, because of my job. But what we have to do is... As individuals, we have to try and reduce that. And we have to try and be responsible. But I don't think that somebody should, shouldn't be taking action on climate change because they have to fly occasionally or have to take their car somewhere occasionally. This is about being incremental. This is about overall, let's not make the perfect the enemy of the good. And I think there's, there's a danger in that on occasion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's also, it's, it's difficult, but then at the ones that you don't, you know, I think it can be really off-putting from, like, the climate activist scene if there's yeah. some sort of perfect stadium that you have to do that in order to, you know, care about the planet. You have to have, like, that list of things of, like, in your personal life that you're achieving. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, I think, you know, actually taking some of the things that, you know, that are inspiring and rethinking, you know, some of the ways that we travel and stuff is yeah. really important as well. Yeah. And trying to see how, how we can address that. So. I guess it's 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 difficult like situation to navigate because obviously you also need 
and some sort of change on the societal level that people are actually where you know that you know with the climate emergency that will probably mean that fundamentally the way we live at the moment will have to change it will have to um, change so yeah there's obviously some need to like look at that and actually also accept that but then obviously i think you know at the stage where we're in where we're really wanting to look at you know systematic changes yeah it's important to actually all come together and not have that um yeah have that yeah that perfection yeah. perfectionist agenda that drives other people away from um from the situation you will never get cultural change overnight and that's what we're looking at we're looking at quite substantial cultural change but if you look at things already and i know you know people already start to look at where their food is sourced from you know i see so many people online and elsewhere and i see them in the shops looking at the additional packaging around foods you know all of these things are small steps but cumulatively they're so important and it's been really nice to see that people are really taking a bit of responsibility for their personal footprint and that's really important government's part of the solution parliaments are part of the solution but actually they're just part of the solution they're a small part of the solution there's an overall societal impact and i think sometimes and what's been really reassuring on climate action is it's really driven by grassroots yeah and, and that's what politics responds to you know it responds to people that's what happens in a democracy Mm. But do you think, for example, like packaging or labelling might, might be also really important in trying to establish having actually criteria that, you know, that says on packaging on products and on food that says from like the carbon footprint actually um, on the on the thing? On, yeah. yeah. But your labelling can take, I mean, it can be, do you know, with, with any of this, and this is a, a little bit of, again about how, how we deal with this. Are we going to stop people using the cars not really. Are we going to try and move so that people have cars that are carbon neutral or electric or, or, or something like that? Yeah, and, 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 and with the technology. Are we trying to get rid of all packaging from supermarkets? No. Are you trying to minimise it? Yes. So I think this is about being responsible. And, and then there's a role within that so that people can have... When, when we go into the shops, we make choices. We make choices based on price, on health, and we can also make choices based on the sustainability of a particular product as as well. It's, 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 so it's, it's absolutely, there's absolutely a role to play there. Mm. So do you think something like a carbon tax is something that should be important, which could be implemented in the UK? I think it's something that's well worth looking at. Yeah, I do. I really do. I think it's something. But we have to look, I mean, I was, I was in a debate on climate change and protecting the environment on Monday. Um, and I remember the point I made in that debate, and it was a good debate, you know, um, but the point I made about in that debate was looking at, when we talk about climate change, we talk about the challenges and we talk about the difficulties. Well, maybe sometimes we should talk about the opportunities. Mm. So carbon tax is a good example. So if we look at carbon tax, are we looking at, do you then ring fence that to invest in research and development? Do you use that as an incentive as well as a disincentive? You know, I, th I think that rather than always looking at penalising, we also need to look at supporting and, and, and changing. Mm -hmm. So whenever we have this debate, we need to look at the opportunities yeah. of, the, of, of, of this transformation in terms of people's jobs, the way we live our lives, you know, so the economic, the public health, the societal benefits that we can get from that. So... Yes, look at it, but don't just look at it as a way of penalising action. Also look at it as a way of um, yeah. supporting it. Yeah, I definitely think it needs to be framed a lot differently yes. because it's actually a great opportunity because um, markets play such a big role in actually 
enabling that and mm -hmm. if we have some sort of measure that is more concrete at the moment you know most of the agreements are very voluntary and to have something that is more um, set w would work really well also making it work for citizens mm -hmm. for example I think in Switzerland what they do is they reinvest it actually back into the tax back into um, into renewable energy into back to the households as well and to people so that it's actually like socially you know more ingrained which also makes it harder to actually be dis like dis yeah. implemented by future governments or things like that so I think it's a really yeah it should be a really important step to take but then also to to frame it in a way that it. Yeah, that it's seen as an opportunity mm -hmm. and as a way that this could benefit that benefits society. But you make a really good point on Switzerland. One thing that we have a benefit of at a European level is to look at the ways in which we do things better. I mean, one one of the reasons I'm so much in favour of the European Union is because we pool, we share yeah. resources and sovereignty. You know, we and, and and climate change is a classic a classic example. Mm -hmm. And I remember during the Brexit debate talking about, you know. We benefit from. I know this isn't about Brexit, but I just let 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 me frame it for a moment. But in the 1980s, of course, we had the issue of acid rain affecting German forests. The EU comes in, and the the quality of the air is better than it was in the 1980s as a direct result of yeah. states pooling together. You know, to say yeah. right, we have to do this. But if you know Germany and proves it's, it's air quality but the, the Netherlands doesn't or Austria doesn't or the UK doesn't then that's not much use because we share this environment together um, and, and now as a direct consequence we benefit every moment that we are alive from mm. from that particular directive and it was a really dull one and all the rest of it but it's important it's yeah. really important. So do you have a sort of like action plan that is being set in place in Scotland or in the UK further? Well, the Scottish government does. So one one thing that I had to say, and I, I'm not part of the Scottish government, so uh, just as that, but um, I know when the Scottish government put forward its its its, its report for pop policies and looking at different things, and 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 in there you've got some you've got some challenging decisions. One of them was to give local authorities the power to charge for car parking, which was something that was that that a lot of parties decided they were against recently. Um, but that was one of the more difficult decisions mm -hmm. that, that you have to make, but also includes local authorities critically. So that's part of the package of measures that you need to introduce if you're going to mm -hmm. just reach your 2045 targets, never mind try and bring them forward or anything mm -hmm. like that. I do think in Scotland we've done well recently on renewables and on the, on the electricity side, but obviously electricity in terms of our carbon footprint is only a part of it. We've still got a long way to go in terms of mm. transport and heat as well. Heat mm. we're doing better on, but transport's a big one that we still need to, to crack, as is heat. But again, this isn't just about carbon. If you can get better energy efficiency, you reduce fuel poverty. So these are, these are areas that are overlapping and you have to look at the different ways that you can tackle um, that you get dual benefits from from some of your investments in these areas. Yeah, so I mean, what would you say personally? What would you like to bring to you know help to bring to the table within uh, within Scotland to help meet you know the climate targets? I I think Scotland's got a big opportunity in terms of renewables. Um, so, for example, on tidal power, mm. Scotland's got twenty five percent of Europe's tidal power. You know, a huge resource. Now, we've not cracked it yet, but tidal power can give you a base load because for hundreds of thousands of years to come, we know when the tides go out and when they come back in, and that gives you your base load. But we've not quite cracked technology. Some, there are some fantastic companies out there who've started and doing good stuff. 
But the great thing about cracking the technology is that then you can go and sell that technology throughout the world. You know, it's it's always been a frustration of mine for those who want to invest in nuclear power, and I'm, I'm not really in favour of nuclear power. Um, but you're spending billions and billions and billions of pounds on, say, one unit, and you're using somebody else's technology. In Scotland, we're ahead of the game. Let's If, if we crack the technology, how great would that be mm. for, for, for people that are coming through? How great would that be um, for some of the graduates who come to... St Andrews or in Edinburgh or in Dundee or, 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 or whatever, if we were able to do it in our, in our universities here and also keep this fantastic talent that we've got here from throughout the world staying here. And, mm. and it's so I, I think, I think the, the electricity sector is one that's particularly exciting. Um, I guess my next question would be, you know, what um, to Stephen Gethens would be, what do you think, you know, has been your biggest step? Um, think has been the biggest step um, in the right direction in terms of climate action but then also on the flip side you know what do you think has been the greatest disappointment um, that you've seen um, yeah so in I terms of climate action the 9 Act which got us up to now 2020 and obviously we've got a lot more to do I think the renewables policy taking that big bold step of 100% equivalent of electricity was was important that I mentioned earlier on um, 10 years ago these were really brave steps you know, mm. people didn't think that it was possible. So uh, 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 the Scottish government took a huge amount of criticism for taking some of these steps from some quarters. Um, on the other hand, I think transport still disappoints. And one yeah. of my, the biggest re- my biggest regrets, in a way, um, high-speed rail that the UK government is spending a lot of money on, fine. But I have to say, shaving 20 minutes or 15 minutes off the off the railways from London to Birmingham, just think what we could have done if we'd built it in the other direction. So the business case for HF, for high-speed rail was always much, much, much better if you got as far as Edinburgh. Mm. I'd love it to go to Lookers, of course, you know, in, in due course, but let's, but let's say you went to Edinburgh. And then at that point, you, you reach the reduction in times. Let's say you bring the, the train journey down to two and a half, three hours. It becomes longer to fly. And so you really... Yeah, you know it. It it, it really takes more people off the planes, um, and also the most difficult bit of a high speed rail journey is, um, in, in terms of the construction, is getting out of London. You yeah. know, so if you'd built it from, let's say we'd done it the other way around, you know, because it's so centralised in the UK sometimes everything's got to be from London. Well, what about if we'd started in Edinburgh? Or Glasgow, or yeah. being very selfishly, what if we'd started in Lookers? But I'm not sure I'd get that passed. But anyway, yeah. Um, and we've gone to London, and actually, that's something that I think would have made. A, I think that's a big missed opportunity. Yeah, and I think especially you know, some like I think flight-wise, local flights should really something that should be challenged in the sense that you know it, it's actually it could be such an opportunity, especially to travel from, for example, from Lucas down to London per train, if that was, like, at a re- more reasonable price and would as well be yeah. um, quicker, you know, than flying, that would be so much... I think that would really incentivize more people to actually take the train. I think that's... Yeah, that's such an, a shame that mm-hmm. it's not happening at the moment. I think we really need to look at how can we get, you know, youth and students to actually go more onto trains because I think it's really... It's mind-blowing to me that it can be cheap, so much cheaper to fly from, let's say, Edinburgh to London than to take the train. Yeah. Um, so, so, so my biggest guilt is that I fly more often than I would like to. 
that said, there's a lot of stuff that I just wouldn't get to to my work. I work in two places. I live in I live near St Andrews, and this is a big part of my work here. And um, but I also work down at Westminster in the House of Commons, and. I often have to fly because to get me down in time for things, you know, which wouldn't happen by, by train. Now, that's something I know I've got to take away from this today and think about how can I do things better. But if we'd invested in high-speed rail, um, even from Edinburgh, I think it would make a big, big, big difference. Shaving an hour and a half off the journey from Edinburgh mm. to London gets you a lot closer to um, making a, a meaningful difference than shaving 15 minutes off the journey from Birmingham to London. Nobody flies from Birmingham to London. You yeah. know, but they do between Edinburgh and London. Yeah, um, and I, I, th I think by doing things the other way around. And interestingly, the Scottish Government granted planning permission pretty much straight away for high-speed rail from Edinburgh to the border. Um, and at the moment, they're still caught up with planning permission down in London in the, and, and in the south of, of, of the UK, where, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's much more heavily populated and therefore much more difficult to do. Yeah, so what do you think, you know, do you think maybe... Is there also a problem, you know, with privatization, with like with trains that could be challenged? To how can you know how can we actually address to make it more, um, make it better for yeah more you know, reasonable? You know, it strikes me is if you look elsewhere in Europe, and we can all one of the great things about being a member of the European Union is the way in which you learn from each other and, um, in different ways, and you see some of the nationalized railways around other European countries, mm. which are much better run, they're cheaper for users, they're more effective, more efficient, all sorts of different areas. And if and if you look at the at high speed rail around Italy, Germany, France, you know, I mean I talked earlier on about um us using renewables technologies and selling them to the world if we crack them in Scotland. Well, in the same way the French have I think have done their best to export high speed rail technology as well. And why not? You know, yeah. they cracked it. Why not? So um, there are things that we can learn from each other. Mm. Not everybody needs to be good at everything. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. But what do you think, you know, for example, what do you think is the biggest challenge for political action on climate change? Because uh, what is, I think so frustrating for many is that obviously everyone's aware, you know, there's a climate emergency, mm -hmm. but it's just such a hesitancy to take really bold actions. Money. It's a big problem. You know, when you've had a decade of austerity, that's peeling away at public services. You know, we see it here in St Andrews that fundamentally decisions are made based on cost. We had that with the out-of-hours service when local NHS are having to think about, no, I disagreed with them. I thought there were other ways that you could have done it, but, but, but let's park that for one minute. Cost, I mean, you've had a decade of Westminster austerity. That has an impact. And then when you come to talk about climate change, you need to invest. It's an investment. Yeah. Um, so there's that political will. If you look at it, um, it has to be higher up on the agenda. I think we're getting there. I think people make a difference. I mean, look at the look at the climate strike that that you organised, um, and the others, and not just you, mm. but well, yeah, but let's look at that. I think that was what one and a half thousand people in St Andrews turning out. It was extraordinary. It's making a difference. That makes a difference, and it pushes up the politicians have to react to people and what and, and what they're saying. So. Um, it needs to be a bigger political priority, but it's something that we can all play a role in pushing it up the agenda. Yeah, but then, I mean, as you said at the beginning as well, you know, then there's a question, obviously it's a question of cost, but then at some point you wonder how much cost actually goes into other things, yeah. such as Brexit or some sort of, yeah, um, political... Four and a half billion pounds on a no-deal Brexit, a hundred million pounds 
on a PR campaign around leaving on the 31st of October. So, I mean, you're right, but that's about political priorities. I would love it. I would love it. Let's say we'd never heard of Brexit and we'd we'd invested the same amount of time, effort and finances in the climate emergencies we have on this. I would have loved that. You know, and I have to say, I'm I'm the vice chair of the all-party group uh, on climate change, worked really closely with the Green MP, Caroline Lucas. Um, and we've there are times we've really struggled to cut through with our work. We've really struggled to cut through. Mm. Um, so, and, and, and I've been front and centre on talking about Brexit. I think it costs us too much money. It's not good. And it takes away from climate action as well. So, um, you make choices. And I, I think that was the wrong choice. Mm. or Brexit was the wrong choice um, in terms of climate action. Yeah. Actually, let's say, take this question that has been sent in the bus box, just to yeah. listeners as well, because I think it just fits in quite well. If any listeners have questions, you're welcome to send them in. Please, yeah, the any box. questions. And then we'll answer them if we can. Um, there's one sent in by Kat, which asks, what do you think are the potential implications of Scottish independence on climate politics and policy? I think it'd be positive, but you'd expect me to say that, wouldn't you? No, but I, I do think they'd be positive. Yeah. And I think what's been really interesting is on climate change, Scotland has taken that lead within the 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 limited... Remember, we've got really limited powers. So, you know, you've got very limited tax powers, business regulation you don't have, critically immigration for all the great um, expertise that we need. I think we've been held back. Um but actually, I think Brexit really changes it, mm. which is, I think, the most effective action we can take is as a member state of the European yeah. Union. And as a member state, remember, your sovereignty rests in the capital city and it's the member states who drive policy. Mm. Now, when we moved on renewables, I remember thinking, well, if you sell that technology, think about if you're in the single market and you're selling your technology to Germany as it moved away from nuclear, that's a real big mm. price, and to the other states mm. as well. So... I think it's positive. And if you look at the positive impact that similar sized countries like Denmark, Sweden, Ireland have had, and we can always do better. But I think pooling and sharing our sovereignty across the European Union is a positive thing to do. And Scotland's led the way in some areas. There's stuff that we can learn from others in other areas. Um, and I think that we'd have a really positive impact. And critically, given the way the UK is going at the moment, I think that Scotland can act as a bridge between um, the rest of the UK mm. and, and, and the European Union and hopefully encourage the UK to at least and hopefully do better than the rest of the EU on climate policy. So I, I, I think it would be a positive. And I'll, I'll make this final point. A lot of environmentalists, you know, the Green Party mm. is pro-independence. A lot of environmentalists came in behind independence in 2014 and are still committed to independence. Um, I know locally the, the, the Green Party candidate from the election last time is in favour of independence because of climate change. Um, and and, and, and I was luck I'm lucky enough this time that he said he'll back me in the election. Um, so I think it would be a positive. Hmm. Yeah, so the next topic that I kind of want to lead us on to is, you know, what as individual action, how can we actually push for change? And um, there's another question in the Buzzbox by Kat again, which I think leads quite nicely into it, which asks, you know, what do you think um, of the climate action that's taking place here in St Andrews and what do you think is the most effective way for us um, going forward to use our voices, you know, as students yeah. and as citizens to push for change? Um, I think, first of all, on climate action that's taking place in St Andrews, um, I think it's been phenomenal. You know, it... it it was 
I was so proud to come along and, 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 and talk at the event and take part in the march. Um, so proud of the climate strike and what and what you guys did. Um, I was last year, and I thought last year was good. You know, when I, when I came mm. along and we had, what, two or 300 people? Yeah. Yeah, and then you come along this year and about <laughs> one and a half thousand. It was phenomenal <laughs> to see the way it's grown. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, so I think that's great. The one thing I would say, and this is always a... Not a frustration, but but I think it's part of life. Is about keeping up the momentum. Yeah. Now, as somebody, now I take let 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 me take an issue that's entirely unrelated to to this, the refugee crisis. Four years ago, I remember talking about the refugee crisis and climate change actually in my maiden speech in Parliament. On the refugee crisis, there was also you'll remember the the, the wee boy Lan who got washed up on shore, and there was a huge. You know, huge interest in it, and then it went away. And we need to maintain that interest. Need to maintain, you know, the refugee crisis is as serious as ever. The climate crisis is as serious as ever. And mm. um, one of my biggest issues with it, and this is why it needs to be year on year, every day, is you have to keep up the momentum. So I would encourage everybody, first of all, in terms of an election, vote, make your voice heard. If this is important to you, make sure it's heard about. But, you know, democracy doesn't begin and end at elections. Yeah. It has to be about ongoing action. It has to be about keeping up the momentum. If we think about it, so many things disappear off the, you know, they disappear off the political agenda as soon as they've disappeared from the front page of the newspapers. So I think keeping up, keeping up pressure on that, yes, I think bringing pressure to bear on... The university is important. Mm. You know, I, th I think the university is overall doing okay, but it can do better. Yeah. Um, but also keeping up pressure on your local politicians, me included, and and just reminding students that 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 they've that each of us has got a responsibility. That's the only way that cultural change will will happen. I'll give you another example. A few years ago, and I'm sure my age now, but I remember there was a huge campaign around "Don't drink and drive." You know, I'm just talking about the culture. Mm -hmm. And that was ultimately successful because of a government-run campaign. So I, I, I'm not equating them. Please, 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 I'm not equating them, but just as an illustration. Um, I'm really keen to see, you know, you saw people in the pubs that became socially unacceptable to have a drink and then drive your car. So, yes, it was the laws. Yes, mm -hmm. it was a PR campaign, but it was actually the cultural shift at an individual yeah. and, and at a local cultural level became important people would no longer go to the pub and then drive home yeah and i guess it's also a bit challenging because a lot of people strangely enough say oh it's so such a small town you know how can we make a difference but i actually think the opposite because we are you know such a small town there's such a big scope for us what we can actually do perfect way to make the difference yeah yeah well so. we've all got a role in the cities towns villages you know we've all we've all got a job to do yeah and i think at the moment it's just good that globally it's obviously being it's being kept on the agenda. It's not. And I think as, you know, as the youth, youth we are really saying, you know, mm. it's not okay to just speak about it once. It's actually we need to have like a back of, a, yeah. of options and of um, things that are taken on. Um, I know locally in St. Andrews, for example, we've been looking at, you know, for example, again, the Kenley Wind Farm mm. um, by the university um, to push that forward. Yeah, um, but they're the MOD need to yes. move as well, which yes. has been, I've, so I've, I've taken up this case, and, oh, but, you know, I've yeah. talked about this case, I've taken it up with the Ministry of Defence, it's deeply, deeply frustrating. Yeah, and these are things that need to be done. But then also look at the huge success of the car-free day in St yeah. Andrews. Great thing to do. Do you know, I, I used to live in Brussels when I worked in the European Union, 
and um, and I lived in Brussels for a few years. And um, there used to be every year, or was it every six months? I can't quite remember. There was a car-free day, and it was a fantastic day because we'd have, you know, you'd go into town. Families would be walking around. You know, there'd be music, there'd be um, shows. It was it was a real festival atmosphere and public transport was free all day yeah. and it was great to see although St Andrews is not Brussels it's at different scales but it was great to see something similar um, yeah. happening It actually works with uh, one of the questions in the buzz box um, someone um, commented if locally you have any view on the pedestrianisation of St Andrews town centre mm-hmm. and increasing the use of public transport I think we need to increase the use of public transport um, I think St Andrews is a really good town for biking around mm-hmm. the one thing I would say is yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot we can look at, and and I know as somebody who has to drive, you know, I I, I live just outside of town, so I come and park on the mm. outskirts. So I, I like having the walk around. We we also need to be mindful of people with accessibility yeah. issues. So, True. older people, people with accessibility issues, mm. even people with very small children on occasion. So yeah, there's much more that we should can and should be doing to get people out of their cars, um, to make the town a more open and pedestrian friendly area but similarly we need to to remember that we need to take on board the views of the business community people with accessibility issues as 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 well so is the answer just to immediately pedestrianize whole part of town i suspect not i suspect it's more incremental measures one of which has to be better public transport not least out to rural areas and also cycling i mean obviously there is a lot of cycling in st andrews but cycling lanes or something to make it more safe for cyclists would also be really something that's very needed I think. I live in a village about four or five miles out of town perfect for cycling at distance wise but the road that in the village that I live in has got no cycle lanes cars drive really fast down it you know it is not a road on which I feel safe cycling not especially after dark Mm. um other roads are better, you know, it's better going to Lookers or, or, or elsewhere and it'll be better going down to the Nook. Um, but 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 these are, but, you know, we need to improve that kind of infrastructure as well. Yeah, I think uh, in general the debate is a, like, would be a lot, you know, it's just infrastructure in investing into infrastructure would be yeah. very important, I think, for addressing climate change and also making it, you know, something that is like actually better for society as a yeah. whole and as a response. Um, but yeah, that's obviously a challenge as well. Um, kind of moving on to a little bit on, you know, what's recently been happening with the strikes with Extinction Rebellion and uh-huh. with other climate strikes. Um, for example, you know, I think a big criti- a thing that has come through with Extinction Rebellion is that, you know, politically it can be quite difficult to implement change just because mm. of the short-term... Um, offices that people hold yeah. and creating something like a citizens mm-hmm. assembly or something like that um, I'm, I'm entirely in favour of a citizens assembly I think on this where on climate action where you've got a whole range because look it's a bit and this is all the idea of a citizens assembly to take in different accounts you know it's like for somebody like me just saying pedestrian ice all St Andrews you know wouldn't make that much difference to me. But then if we think about people with accessibility issues, people who run small businesses, all these things, and there'll be things I've not thought about. And I'm not saying it's these are the wrong things to do, but the Citizens' Assembly gives you that broader yeah. range of views and things that we don't think about, and ideas and positive ideas. So I think a Citizens' Assembly is something that can be really, really positive. 
that is something that should be looked at. But what do you think maybe of like Extinction Rebellion's demands or protests in general? I'm, I'm, I'm really sympathetic. I'm somebody who's been caught up with them a few times down in London, went to visit them when they were down in London. Um, it's a climate emergency, isn't it? Mm, it's yeah. a climate emergency. It needs to go up the political agenda. Yeah. Now, I think sometimes they didn't get it entirely right. I yeah. think trying to stop the tube and stuff like that. But that said, overwhelmingly, the protests have been friendly, good-natured, decent. I mean, I've stopped and spoken to a number of the people who are mm. protesting when I've been down in Westminster. Um, and as, as somebody who has had a lot of abuse from pro-Brexit campaigners outside, they were much better behaved than some of the protesters that we get down there sometimes. Look, protest and direct action is part of our democratic process. Um, and I think that these guys are raising attention to the biggest issue. Yeah. Right? And I make no apologies for that. You know, this is the biggest political issue that we face today. Yeah. And I think what Extinction Rebellion is just quite good at actually saying is, you know, this is actually so critical for our survival. And, um, you know, is actually really... I, I think I get quite emotional when I hear about mm. people actually putting down, you know, their liberty and their, you know, committing acts of, like, peaceful civil disobedience and sitting in the streets and saying, you know, we actually need people to act. And, I mean, it is quite justified to come from a point to say that nothing's been happening, you know, so much has been tried from a civil point of view, you mm -hmm. know, protests and letters and, um, and actually wanting to take it a step further. But, yes, of course, obviously there are some things that, you know, even as a social movement that could have gone a bit different, I think also as a movement is probably learning from that as well. Um, but, but yeah, nobody, nobody's yeah. ever going to get it right. People are going to make yeah. mistakes. Like I've, in my four, four and a half years as a member of parliament, you know, you like to think you get it right all the time. You just don't, right? I've made plenty of mistakes, mm. um, things I should have done better. Um, but overall, if this is a climate emergency, if this is the number one political issue, get it mm. up on the agenda, get it up. And, and it's and it's getting there, and, and you notice it with people talking a lot more about it, committing to action about it, but it's still not the priority it should be. Mm. But let's say, for example, do you also think for like the the, the role, what kind of role do you think like institutions and universities and business as well? Do you think have what kind of role do they have to play as well? Um, universities are quite in quite an unusual position mm. because, as well as being big employers with, you know, universities are big. The, the mm. biggest employer in my constituency, North East Fife, the <laughs> biggest employer by some distance is the University of St yeah. Andrews, right? And I love having the university. I'm, I'm proud to be the MP for the university. I love the range of different skill sets. I love the diversity it brings us because it brings people from around the world. I love it. But also brings a responsibility from the university. Yeah, and to be fair, I think course. the university recognised that. But that means leadership in tackling the climate emergency. Yeah. I think the Garbridge development and trying to reduce carbon footprint has, has, has been great. But I think there's more they can do. I, but I think, to be fair to the university, I think they they recognise that as mm. as as well. So, And also, as, as a leader in innovation, as a leader in intellectual um, thought development, yeah. the University of St Andrews, but also the other universities, are actually uniquely well-placed. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I guess the thing is, you know, for us, especially if we're studying here, we're studying for a future, but we need mm -hmm. to actually ensure that that future is, exists as well. And I think universities do actually also need to take a very strong public stance as well on that and to say, 
you know, we're educating people for a future, but we actually need to make sure that we, they have a future as well. And uh, yeah, they do. What would you know? One thing I like about the university, many things I enjoy about being the MP for the university. But one of the things, whenever I meet colleagues from the university and the management, is you, you mentioned earlier on, Leah. You mentioned that um, politicians take a short-term view sometimes of things, yeah. and you're right. The university has existed for 600 years. Mm. It thinks in terms of centuries. Mm. And I quite like that about the university. You know, it takes a more long, long-term approach to things. Um, yeah, well, this, this is that, the yeah. biggest challenge long-term. Yeah. This is the biggest challenge long-term. Yeah. So, um, maybe The challenge is creating, you know, actual short-term steps, I guess. To yes. Like now, yeah. you know. Yeah. And how do... You know, because one of the things I think that... You know, with, with Scottish government setting the 2045 target or when we set the 2020 target is I, th I think these long-term steps and long-term goals are really important. But actually, the hard work is not setting the targets long-term. The hard work is how you how you take the day-to-day -day steps to to get there. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, as citizens or as students, what can we actually do to um, push for change and so create change? vote, keep up the pressure on your elected representatives or those who seek to be elected representatives but keep this going day and daily. Keep up the protests. Keep up the pressure yeah. on, you know. Also, it's 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 not just about and and use your financial muscle. Look how important students are financially. Yeah. You know, you might might not feel like you're important financially when you're checking out your bank account every month, but collectively, it's important. Yeah. You know, what do what do what what do businesses react to? They react, they react to what their customer wants. If their customer wants to know that their produce has, you know, let's take food. Is it locally produced, minimum carbon footprint, minimum packaging food, and that's how you're going to spend? You know, they'll react. Tesco's. So many, I keep on seeing students there. How often have you pestered Tesco over their um, mm. carbon footprint? Yeah, that is a huge challenge, I think, as well, especially, yeah. But collectively, you know, I mean, yes, put pressure on me. Yeah. Yes, put pressure on the university. Um, yes, put pressure on government. There's so, so much it, in the it, town it, as well. But we actually, do. yeah. What about Tesco? That's true. I mean, if all students were to do Tesco, sorry, if Tesco protest. are listening to this, I'm not putting <laughs> you just Tesco on the spot. I'm not. But but no, or yeah, or Sainsbury's, or, or there yeah, are okay. many other retailers are available as well. But but I yeah. I just use that as, as an illustrative. That's true. Yeah. Way, yeah. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I think there is a big opportunity actually to do things and and to do things on it. On a yeah, on on a wide scale, I actually think I sometimes feel like there's so much to do. I don't even know where to start. And then some people feel like there's just I don't know. I think everyone needs to sort of get behind. You know that there is a bit that we can all do and use our voices for. And, act individually, um, but also act as a collective yeah, as well. And of that's course, and that's course. what it showed you were doing in the, um, and that's what it showed you were doing with the climate strikes. Yeah, there's a the next the next global one is on the 29th, which is on the around the theme because obviously um, Greta Thunberg speech mm -hmm. was um, how dare you? So that's yeah. a so we're also planning to do something for St Andrews then, but we're Good. still yeah okay. still in the final in the keep me posted <laughs> in the organisational, but yeah, just put that out there as well to you know that there are things actually happening and it's just important for people to actually get involved and yeah. to use their voices. Um, especially because as students we play such an important role in this area mm. of Scotland. Um, yeah. Um, 
I think, yeah, I just, looking at the time, but um, maybe we should, should, should do a final question. But okay. Also, if anyone else has anything that I like, want to ask. One more question that I've seen that I'd like to ask from the Puzzbox mm -hmm. is that if there are any concrete plans on use, the use of electric vehicles in Scotland. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I can't speak for the Scottish government, um, yeah. but you've, you've obviously got that that network of electric charging points. But there is also a challenge of um, affordability. Not everybody can afford an electric vehicle, and we have to always be mindful of that. Um, so does that mean that we also need to look at expanding better electric and, and, and carbon neutral public transport? Like, you know, you've got the hydrogen buses in, in Aberdeen and, and, and things like that. So yes and and as i said earlier on transport's one of the areas that that, that we really need to do mm. better on be it long distance high speed rail be it intra community you know low carbon public transport um is it a problem i've heard that apparently it might be a problem within fife within uh, the electricity grid that electric vehicles or something would put an extra strain on the electricity grid which we could don't do have. so we need to i mean yeah, so that's 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 where it comes to investing in grid upgrades as as as, as well and um, but that's where i mean the the network around here would be delivered by scottish power who'd be the um who've got the network and that's that's something that that i suppose again keep up the challenge think about where you're getting your electricity from and if you're you know, a, a customer of one, one one of these companies, be it Scottish Power or any others, um, that 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 you're keeping up the um, pressure on them to maintain their their commitments. Yeah. So my final question would be, um, you know, what gives you hope for the future, and you know, what's your outlook? It's going to sound really, come? really, really naff, and I thought you might yeah. ask me this, and I was thinking about it. But you guys, and being at that climate strike, it it really gave me hope for the future, and the way people are latching onto this. Um, really gives me hope for the future um, and the way the students are doing it, the school kids are doing it, even having the nursery kids along as well, yeah. that's so special. That gives me hope for the future and and we've all got a role to play and I, I know everybody's doing their bit. My my wife's writing a book at the moment um, that, that, that that she's going to launch about how, how, how do we manage to bring up our kids mm. in, a, in a better way, you know. So we've all got a role to do. But really seeing those generations, students, but school kids and others coming through, making their voice loud and clear on this um, gives me a lot of hope. Keep it up. You're changing stuff. Might not seem like it sometimes, <laughs> but you're changing stuff. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for joining thank us you. for the show today. And um, for answering questions, it's been an honor having you. And um, yeah, I hope we can continue pushing for climate action. Yeah, on local as well as on a thank broader you. scale. Keep going. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you for all our listeners who tuned in. And I hope you enjoyed the show.